to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen and amen. You excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Um, I'm excited right along with you. It's always a joy, a privilege and a joy to gather with God's people. Amen. 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 Why don't you stand with me and open up to the book of Romans as we continue our Built for Better series. Romans chapter 8. When you get there, say amen. If you need some time, say hold on. Amen. Y'all know where we at this morning. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. We're going to go down and read through verse 30. I'm going to read the evens. You're going to read the odds. We're going to read the last verse together. Amen. Amen. Here's the word of the Lord. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. Start that over. Do that verse again. Was it cut off? Okay, I'll I'll read it for us. Verse 27, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Altogether, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. I just want to take some time this morning and talk from the theme You're not worth my time. You're not worth my time. Father, God, we thank you. We come with humble hearts as we open your word, knowing that. Every time we get the privilege to open your word, we are hearing from you because all of your word is breathed out by God and it is profitable for us. And so, God, we want to profit from your word today. We want to experience 
mind change, heart renewal, lives that are conformed to the image of your son. And so, Father, would you speak to us this morning? Would you encourage us by your word? Would you transform us in ways and renew us in ways that we would have never thought possible but by your word? God, we pray that we would hear from you today, that you would be faithful to continue to uh, hold your promises true, that your word will not return void to you. Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. 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 So recently I had the privilege of um, moving from uh, right around the corner here, one of the great many blessings living near the church, uh, and, and moving to uh, a little bit of a bigger home as our family expanded and we kept adding kids and, um, uh, and just you know, wanting to have a little bit better space for hosting, for ministry. And, uh, and so as you can imagine, when you purchase a new house, there's a lot of excitement that happens. Uh, and so we, we got into the house and all of the flooring need to be, needed to be replaced, and, uh, which was a lot of work. Um, but, but shout out to my realtor. She found us some amazing floors. Those, those wood, y'all know them wood laminate floors that, that look real, but they less expensive, uh, but they still durable because they real thick. Uh, who knew you could buy that at Sam's Club? Um, <laughs> But, but way less expensive than going to some of the other places we were, were looking at. So we, we got our floors done. And when, when I tell you, you walked in the house and it just looked different. It just felt different. It, was, it had that immaculate feeling. As soon as you walk in, like, man, this is this our house. Like, this, this thing is getting going. Like, we, we about to be up in here. Uh, and, and so we got, we got the floors done. We were excited, right? Excited. Um, we had went and got new appliances. First time in our, in our lives we had bought brand new appliances. Got, bought the whole kitchen set. You know, microwave, dishwasher, range, refrigerator, a nice little joint, the, the little black stainless steel joint. You know, we got little kids, so the fingerprint, don't leave no fingerprints, man. We was, we was hyped. And so, so we, got, we got the floors done, and two days later, the appliances arrived. So imagine seeing those, bland new, those brand new appliances on the brand new floors. We was feeling ourselves. And so uh, that, that was the beginning of the week. We, we get to the end of the week. And my wife notices that there is water leaking down into the basement. And we, we, we couldn't figure out where it was coming from. We, we were searching all over trying to figure out where this water is coming from. Uh, and eventually it started to get worse. It went from just a small leak into the basement to us walking on our brand new floors and water seeping through the cracks of the wood floors. So you could imagine our frustration at brand new floors being put down and, and now water everywhere you step coming up through the floors and not knowing where the water's coming from. So we had the company come out and sure enough, uh, they looked down into the basement. We thought it was the AC system because that needed to be replaced. And he said, man, this is too much water for this AC system. It's probably not that. He said, man, I, only thing I can think of is we got a new refrigerator installed. So he said, all right, let's go take a look at the refrigerator. So we pulled the refrigerator out and sure enough, lo and behold, there's water leaking from the back of the refrigerator. We can see the water pouring out from the back, but we couldn't tell where it was coming from because it was going right into the floors. And, 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 and you can imagine our frustration at one, brand new floors being put down and now completely messed up. But not only that, not knowing where that water is coming from, but then to find out that the refrigerator wasn't installed properly. Imagine my frustration and my wife's frustration. And so we had to tear out all the 
all the damaged areas of the house, all those brand new floors in our kitchen tore up. The basement that we had downstairs completely tore down to the beams. Now you would look at that situation and, and think, man, that's terrible. There is no good news coming from this. But, but I'm here to tell you that lo and behold, our insurance company stepped in. Amen, this is why you need insurance, amen somebody. And our insurance company came in and they, they sent the team in and, and they looked at all the damage that needed to be repaired. And they said, not only do we need to replace the floors that were messed up, but we also need to cut out some of the walls up to a certain height around where the floors were damaged, which meant that they now had to paint the entire first floor. But not only that, the basement that we had to get up to code because the guy who was in there didn't pull no permits and just did everything himself. You know how we try to do. I'm, <laughs> help me, Lord. But instead of now having to get that basement up to code using my own money, because there was damage in the basement and they had to rip it down to the studs, they're getting our basement completely renovated for us. Brand spanking new. Why, why, why am I telling you this story? I'm telling you this because what began as a frustration, what began as a nuisance problem, what began as an issue that we had no answers for, that we could not figure out, could not be compared to what we were now receiving on the back end. What started off as a major headache could not be compared to what my house will eventually look like that I didn't have the resources to do on my own. See, suffering is like that sometimes. Suffering can be that frustration that we have to go through. It can be the inconveniences to our normal routine. It can be the, the thing that strips us of our joy and our peace and our comfort. Suffering can be like that sometimes. And suffering doesn't always come from God. Sometimes suffering can be God throwing a whirlwind at you throwing the storms of life your way. Sometimes suffering can be the result of the consequences of your own sin, but sometimes suffering is just the result of living in a broken world, something we don't have the answers for. We can't always answer the why question of suffering, but the one thing that we can do is know that God uses suffering to bring our good about because he's conforming us into the image of, us, of his son through the difficulty that we experience. In verse 17, Paul mentioned how suffering accompanies membership into the household of God. How, how we don't view suffering as, as something that should be embraced and welcomed or that is ordinary for the Christian. But Paul, has, Paul here says, if you want to be a part of the family of God, guess what you got to bring with you? Suffering. It's a part of what it looks like to be a Christian, but he doesn't want us to stay there because in this text, Verses 18 through 30, Paul begins to lay out for us that even though suffering is a natural part of the Christian life, it doesn't mean that it should be the only thing that we are always focused on. It said even though we experience difficulty, even though we experience pain, even though we experience hurt, there is encouragement that we should always have in view as we go through suffering. The first thing I want you to remember is that suffering tries to minimize the coming glory. That, that's what it does. So, suffering tries to distract you from the big picture glory of what God is doing. 
Look, look, what, look, look what he says. He says, he says, for I consider that, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that will be revealed to us. He, he's saying that the, that the glory to come, the glory that's not here yet, but the glory that is coming, there's a promise there that, that glory is coming. It's not here yet, but it's coming. He said that glory far outweighs what you're going through right now. That, 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 that glory outweighs the affliction of the present experience that you have going on in your life when compared to the all-surpassing, everlasting glory that God has for you. Now, why, why, why is that important? And how can, Paul, how can Paul call something like suffering and something like affliction a, a small and slight and momentary? How, how does Paul say that the suffering we go through in this life is momentary and slight affliction. I, I'm sorry, Paul, but, but you haven't lived my life. You, you haven't experienced what I've experienced, Paul, because what I'm going through right now doesn't feel slight. What, what I'm going through right now doesn't feel temporary. What, what I'm going through, Paul, seems more like thing after thing, event after event, trauma after trauma, difficulty after difficulty where God seems to have forgotten about me. And I don't know if I can actually trust whether or not God is working out my good on the back end. Paul, how can you say that it's slight and momentary? I, I was interested in that and I began to look at what Paul says about his own life, how he describes his own experience with God in this broken world. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments. See, so, some, some people were trying to negate Paul's experience as, as, as a follower of Jesus, his apostleship. And Paul said, are, are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman because I'm a better one with far more labors, with far more imprisonments, for worse beatings, many times near death. Listen to what Paul says about his experience here on this earth. He says, five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I face dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. Paul done been through some stuff. He said, you want to you want to compare what you've been through? I can bet I, I can bet I, I can one up you. I, I, I bet if you think that I'm just talking some theoretical pie in the sky nonsense about the goodness of God, that you're saying that, Paul, you can only say that because you ain't been through nothing. Well, here, let me share with you my track record that I'm speaking from a place of experience that the goodness of God and the coming glory is so much greater than what I've experienced. Those beatings are worth it in comparison to what I will receive when I see him. That, that frustration with people in my life that don't trust me, that lie about me and lie on me and cause me hurt and cause me pain is worth it when I see the glory of God that's coming on my behalf. He says it's but slight and momentary. He said there, there are some things that I'm looking forward to 
that even though I haven't yet grasped it, it helps me change my mind about what I'm going through. It helps me get through the difficulties of what I have to persevere through when I think about what God has for me when I get to see him. It says there, but slight and momentary. See, Paul, Paul could say this because as a citizen of heaven, he realized that, that his earthly life was just a moment when compared to eternity. Just a moment. Two months of difficulty is nothing compared to eternity. A lifetime of sickness is nothing compared to eternity. Paul says, he says, he says I, I, I know what you're going through. I, I know what you're going through because I've been through it, but don't forget about eternity. He said, if, there, if there's something that's going to hold you, if there's something that's going to encourage you, don't let what you're going through now be the plank in your eye that keeps you from seeing the glory that God has for you when he returns. He says, he says, but it's not just... It's not just humanity that is awaiting this glorious return of their king. That's, it's not just humanity that's waiting to be restored to this God, to the state of perfection that he had in the beginning. Look what he says. He says, he says verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility. See, at the, at, at, in the, at the fall, uh, man was cursed, but also creation was cursed because of man's sin. And so while man experienced that separation from God and, and separation from one another and the brokenness that sin uh, had the, took effect upon the world, he said creation experienced that same separation. All of creation now was, was cursed to decay. As man was, was, uh, was given the curse, die and you shall die, uh, uh, earth was also given the curse where it would not produce what God had intended for it to produce. Instead of producing fruit, it would produce thorns and, and thistles, and it was also decaying. And so there was futility had at that time. But it says that creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, meaning God. But in the hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and the glorious freedom of God's children. See, creation is hoping, along with humanity, is waiting in hope for Jesus Christ to return. Creation, creation is waiting to be renewed. How, how do we know? Because Paul goes on and says that, that there's this longing that's taking place in creation. Where, where, where the rocks are moaning in anticipation of his return, where the skies are groaning, anticipating his return, where the animals are, are groaning and moaning and, 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 and at a, stand, a point of angst awaiting his return along with all of creation is waiting in anticipation for God to reveal what he promised to reveal in the sons of man, to return and to make all things new. Imagine being made brand new flawless, and then experiencing the effects of sin entering into the world only to reflect the brokenness that man now brought into the world that was applied to you by no fault of your own and just waiting for the day to come when God promised that he would make you new again. Creation is waiting in desperate anticipation for his return. Paul describes it as the longings and, and the groans and the moans that come along with childbirth. 
There's this, there, there are these labor pains that, that creation is, is going through. And if you know anything about childbearing, not that I can speak from experience, even though I was in the room, I'm a secondhand, uh, uh, I, I can give you secondhand information. So please correct me if I'm wrong as I try to describe this. But, but, but labor pains take a long time. La- la- labor pains, that, like, they put a little machine on top, of, on, on top of your belly as you're having labor pains so that they can, they can tell you and identify when the contractions are coming. And you can't see it without that machine, but you can feel it. There's something happening underneath that you can't see, but that you can feel to let you know that something's happening, that it's, that it's working towards the intended goal. But, but that working towards the intended goal is painful. And it takes a long time. And sometimes you don't even know how much progress you've made. And you've been experiencing pain after pain and longing after longing. And, 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 and all you have to do is hope that what you're experiencing is actually working towards what you're hoping it's working towards without actually knowing for sure. See, Paul, Paul says that creation is doing that. Creation is moving towards this intended goal of God. And we as God's creation are experiencing the slow, agonizing effects of the labor pains of creation, waiting in anxiousness for his return to come back and to produce the life, the health, and the peace that he intended from the beginning. But we we don't always see it. We don't always see it, but, but creation, Paul says, can feel it. You can you can feel it when you see the tragedies take place around the world. God, when are you coming back already? When you go through major life difficulties, I just want to go home and be with you. I'm tired of this world, God. Why is there so much evil? Why is there so much heartache? When you just going to come back? Why you just can't me letting these folk run wild in this world? When are you just going to be here? You're that you know what that is? That's you moaning and anxious Uh, 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 an anxious anticipation of the return of God to make things new because you know what you see and what you hear on a regular basis does not reflect how God intended things to be. But guess what? Those things can't be compared to the glory that's coming. They can't be compared to what God has in store for his people at the return of Jesus Christ. He says, he says that not only that, but we ourselves, those who are blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ by faith, he said, we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, meaning that the spirit is the, the first installment of that glorification process. He is the, the down payment, the guarantee that God will fulfill in us what he has started that salvation process that that we also are groaning within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Not only does suffering try to, to minimize the coming glory, but sometimes when we're experiencing suffering, it has the, the ability to minimize whether or not we actually think we have the Spirit's help. See, suffering makes us think that we're struggling by ourselves. Difficulty makes you feel like you're on an island, that nobody else has experienced what you've experienced. 
and that that God has left you alone and doesn't see you and doesn't see what you're going through. But 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 here Paul begins to say, he says that that, that that's not true because we we who have the spirit, we have an intercessor. Look, look what he says. He says he says in the same way, verse 26, the spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know what to pray for as we should. Meaning that, that, that there's a way that we're supposed to pray. That, that, that's why the disciples said, Jesus, why, could you teach us how to pray? Because they knew that their prayers didn't look like how Jesus prayed. There, there was something different about how Jesus prayed that the disciples couldn't relate to. And so they had to say to Jesus, Jesus, can you, can you teach us how to pray like you pray? It's, it's something about how you connect to God in prayer. It's something about how you get your prayers answered that just is different than how we pray. And here Paul is saying that, that there's a way to pray, but most of us don't pray how we should. Can you imagine that? Thinking that you're killing it in prayer and you're not even praying the way you're supposed to be praying. But he says, even, look, like, oh my God, this is so great. Even when we fail at prayer, the Spirit is praying on our behalf. Even when you don't pray right, even when you pray selfishly, even when you're not in the will of God when you pray, guess who's interceding for you? The Spirit of God is interceding for you on your behalf when you don't get your prayers right. You ever wonder why sometimes God answers prayers that you ain't even been praying? Like when you're lazy in your prayer life and you know you should be praying about it, but you don't pray, and then you were like, man, God, hold on, God answered that prayer. Now I feel bad because I didn't even pray about it. Guess, guess, guess what? That's because the Spirit was praying on behalf of your crazy behind. That's because, that's because the, the time that you didn't take seriously to get before the throne of God, the Spirit says, I know what they need. I know what they need that they don't even know what they need. And I'm going to pray it on their behalf as I intercede for them in between on the throne of God on their behalf. But look what it says in verse 27. It says not only is he interceding with unspoken groanings. It says, but but he who searches the heart, that's God, that, that he who searches the heart knows the mind of the spirit because he intercedes for the saints. What does it say? According to the will of God, which means that the spirit's prayers always get answered because he always prays on your behalf in the will of God. How encouraging is that? That even when you get prayers wrong, the Spirit is praying the right way for you. And as he intercedes for you, as he, as he moans in bef before the throne of God, as he groans in unspoken language because the, the, the experience of what you're going through is so heavy upon you that you don't have the words to say, you know, you're so frustrated by life that you don't even know how to form words together to get before God. You're so frustrated with the situation that you can't even get before God and get down on bended knees. God, I don't even know what to say. I don't even want to pray right now. God, I, I just, I don't have the words. Guess what? The Spirit of God is going before him on your behalf. And he's not, he's not even saying words. He's just, he's just before the throne. And God translates the moans. He translated and knows what the Spirit is praying on your behalf. 
And he's praying in such a way that God is going to answer what he's praying because he always prays according to the will of God. Don't let suffering distract you from the fact that you got the spirit of God interceding before the throne of God, praying what you can't pray, praying what you don't know how to pray, praying what you don't have the words to describe. You have God himself praying on your behalf. Don't let suffering distract you from the fact that you have the spirit who is interceding for you daily. But not only that, not only does the suffering try to minimize the spirit's aid and not only does it try to minimize our, our, our view of uh, the future glory that's coming, but here's, here's, here's what suffering does that gets us in trouble, that causes us to question the character of God and whether or not we really believe God is good, whether or not we really believe God loves us and cares for us. As, as suffering causes us to minimize the sovereign rule of God over your life. Look, look what he says in verse, uh, verse 28. He says, we know, Paul is, Paul is making the inference to the Roman Christians that this should be common knowledge for believers. That this, this should be expectant practice in our minds. This should be part of our core belief system. Because he says, we know. He's taking for granted the fact that, that other believers know this like he knows this. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Um, imagine Paul here allowing his mind to wander, allowing his mind to wander back to his personal experience, to all of the beatings, to all of the imprisonments, to the shipwreck, to the betrayals, to, to just the the danger that he's experienced on the roads, the always having to look over his shoulder. Couldn't you imagine getting embittered with God over the course of time where you just go after obstacle after obstacle after obstacle and it seems like the world is just not letting up. And Paul here lets his mind wander as he thinks over those experiences. But he doesn't stop at just his experiences because he connects his experiences to what God has been doing in human history all along. And he says, he says, man, I, we know that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And this is what the good looks like. See, don't 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 get confused that good means happiness. We don't even realize how much we shortchange ourselves when we equate God's good to our personal happiness. If, if that's all God's goodness means to you, then, then you're selling yourself far short of how gloriousness or glorious it will be when he returns. You're selling yourself far short of all that he has for you in the riches that are stored up for you in Christ if you uh, if you just make his good your happiness, look what he says. He says, this is what good looks like. Verse 29, those that he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. See, 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 for Paul, Paul could, Paul could see the good of what God was doing for people like him, who, he, who God foreknew, who God, people like him who God predestined, people like him who, who God called that shouldn't have been called, Pe- people like him who God justified, who had no business being justified. It, pe- people like him, see, see Paul knew that, that what he was going through did, did not count as the limitations of God's goodness, that God's goodness started long before he was born. That God's goodness started long before the doctor first heard his cry when he came out of his mother's womb. That that God's goodness started in eternity past when he cooked up this idea to save these wretched human beings that had no business being saved. Look at the natural progression of God's goodness. That That God foreknew you. That God thought about you before he even created you. That he had you in mind before your story, your story even started. And then he had to decide in all of his goodness and his mercy to choose you out of the, the number and bring you into a predestined relationship with him. See, Paul wasn't bringing this up to start no theological controversies and arguments. Paul was just trying to get them to understand how wonderful it was to be chosen by God. Paul was just trying to get them to, to take a, a Selah moment to worship God because he knew that he had no business being called out of his life of sin. I don't know if you know about Paul's story, but Paul used to be one who persecuted the church, who was a hater of God. And so Paul knows very well what it looks like to be redeemed out of the number, to be saved from hell, to be saved from God's wrath, to be free from sin, to no longer have to be afraid of experiencing the consequences of death outside of a relationship with God. Paul knew what it meant that he was predestined and he wasn't trying to start an argument with you. He's just trying to get you to see, would you worship God with me? If you can remember what your life used to look like and now see what your life looks like now because he called you he said this is this is God's goodness God's goodness is so much bigger than my life God's God's goodness is so much bigger than my personal experience yes all things are working to my good for those who love God and are called according to my purpose but guess what that good looks like that good looks like me being predestined that good looks like me being called out of a number but God that looks like me being justified me be being put in right standing with God where I was an enemy of God I now have right standing with God where I was unrighteous I've now been given the righteousness of Christ so that when he looks upon me he doesn't see the messiness of my sin he sees me spotless he sees me clean that's God's goodness God's goodness is that you've been justified but it doesn't stop there because God's goodness also means that you will be glorified that there will come a day despite all your suffering Despite all that you're going through right now, despite the frustrations of your situations, the things in your life that you don't even want to share with anybody, he said, despite all that, there is coming a day where I'm going to make you brand new. And I'm going to give you a perfect body. And it's going to allow you to stand before my presence and withstand all the glory that is shining before your eyes. And where you couldn't see me, 
you're not going to see me face to face. That's God's goodness. That, my friends, is God's goodness. You know, I hate wearing glasses. It's one of the reasons I don't wear them while I preach. They're just so impractical at times. If you're running, sweating, they just slide all over your face. I'd much rather wear contacts. But I'm forced to wear glasses when I don't have any more contacts. But nonetheless, I use my glasses because they serve a purpose. They help me see clear. Because right now I can see all of you, but I can't see you clearly. But one of my pet peeves that I hate the most about wearing glasses is I hate those little smudges that you get. If, see, my glasses folk know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes you get the little smudges. It's not even the big ones in the middle of the glasses. It's the, it's the little ones on the edges. For some reason, they're, they're, hard, to, they're hard to get rid of. And, and, and I hate them. I hate them. It's the bane of my existence. Because those, those little smudges on the fringes, when I'm wearing my glasses that are hard to get rid of, they're so distracting. And even though those smudges are just on the fringes of my glasses, for some reason, it doesn't allow me to focus clearly on what I can actually see. And all I end up seeing is the smudge. Suffering is like that smudge. That smudge on the lens. In the grand scheme of all that God is doing in eternity, what you're going through is just that smudge. But for many of us, it causes us to be distracted from actually being able to see clearly all that God is up to and all that God is at work in, in your life and around you. Because all we can focus on is the smudge. All Paul is trying to do in this text today is remind us to take our eyes off the smudge and to remember that God has good stored up for you. And that what you're going through is so small in comparison to what he has coming on the back end. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that, God, we have hope. We thank you that we have encouragement. Help us to have a proper understanding of suffering, of what we go through. That in those moments when we can't answer why, when we don't have the answers for who to place blame on for the suffering, that we would know that, that even when suffering doesn't come from you, God, you utilize it, you use it to conform us, to grow us up. That's why you tell us to count it all joy 
when we face various trials because it produces in us perseverance, endurance, character. And so God, we, we need to believe what your word says today. That even when we can't see it, even when we don't think it's happening, you're working for our good. You're working for our good right now. You have mapped out a road that leads to your ultimate goodness for us in the future. But God, you had our good in mind even before we were born. You are not a God who doesn't start what he finishes. So Father, help us to believe what your word says. Help us to walk in the promises that you give and be comforted by the reality that your spirit aids us in those difficult seasons, praying and interceding on our behalf so that suffering doesn't pull us further from you, but it draws us and pushes us deeper into your loving embrace. Help us, oh God, to experience victory in our minds, to be renewed in our minds, so that suffering doesn't become our central focus, but our central focus remains the good you have in store for us and the faithfulness that you call us to despite what we're going through. Strengthen your people today, God. We pray. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Passive Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you. We love you.